Hello, Spider-Dan here of the Spider-Dan and the Secret Balls podcast. Just wanted to give you a quick introduction on what I do and why you should check it out. My main mission for the podcast is to spotlight the best-kept secrets in entertainment that a mainstream audience may find boring. I cover these topics in various different formats, including Secret Defenders, where I challenge my guests to defend their favourite films that are underrated, obscure or infamous. Or Clone Balls, where we compare similar pieces of media and see which one will be crowned the victor. And Secret Ball Stories, where we compile a top five list in high fidelity fashion. I have various guests from all walks of life, including friends, family, comic book professionals and actors, while also doing the odd solo podcast and Patreon YouTube video here and there. If you like entertaining and informative discussions and are sick of content creators covering the same old MCU and Netflix programming, take a walk on the wild and the weird side by joining the Protalion. Swing over to spiderdanandthesecretballs.com for all the information you may need, such as links to the podcast, social media accounts, and how you can support the podcast. That's spiderdanandthesecretballs.com. That's B-O-R-E-S. Thanks for joining me, and as always, prepare for prattle. Indie Comic Spotlight, the show where we do a deep dive into an ongoing series or graphic novel from a company other than the big two. And so back, back in the chairs, former guests are here, um, co-creators of this comic we're going to talk about. You're reading it. You're like, oh, that sounds like a cool sounding comic. You're right. It is. It is a cool sounding comic. And once you hear us talk about it, you're going to be like, shit, I need to buy it. And, it's, and you'll find out how to buy it. This is like the indiest, do-it-yourselfiest bunch of brilliant people that I've ever had the pleasure to meet. So in one chair, returning after his triumphant um, guest spot to talk about his brilliant comic tessellation, Mike Phillips. Mike, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thanks for having me back. Yeah. And when is Tessellation 2 coming out? Uh, Hernan, uh, the co-creator, has been absorbing the script for a few months now and finishing up some other stuff. So it's still going to be a while. Okay. Um, well, I fucking love that book. I'm thank always, you. always here for stuff like that. Like, I just love the multiple timelines and the way that you drew it, the way that you guys designed it. It was such a beautiful book. And if people, if you haven't, I'll link the show notes. So when Mike and I talked about it, but you should go get that book and have your mind fucking blown. It's so cool. And the person who makes Thank it you. happen, the person, the founder, creator, writer, everything else of Martian Lit, Dr. D, Julian Darius. How are you, friend? Uh, I'm doing fine. And uh, viewers will be interested to know we are recording straight from hell. Straight from hell. <laughs> That's right. We are doing straight from hell today. That is totally that is totally true. And although, I mean, I am normally if I were home, you could argue that because I am from Florida, but I'm from my home <laughs> state now in Michigan, much less hellish. Um, but you got you are obviously in paradise. Um, so it must be. We'll talk about that when we get there because you. Well, I guess you worked on this one when you were still on the mainland. So I wonder. It'll be interesting to see how the future of the series goes now that you're living. You know, you can look out your window. 
Interesting fact, my building entrance actually is framed by pearly gates. So, oh. you know, and, and actually most of the horror in hell uh, was based on true story, was based on real things that have happened in Florida in the last five years. So. <laughs> in the last five minutes as well. No, all facts. Those are all facts. You are all correct. Yes, the last five years, as as my governor, as we said, is getting more and more. Like he read Hannah Arendt as a playbook instead of a warning. So that's a deep cut for everybody out there. You're like, I was hoping we would talk about Hannah Arendt today. But, so, <laughs> but the last time Julian was on, he started by saying, you came for Wolverine and now you get English class because he and I talked about <laughs> William Blake's <laughs> in general, but Songs of Innocence and Experience more specifically. So that was a lot of fun. Um, that is still, honestly, that was such a deep cut and only you would, would say, yeah, that's an indie comic. Let's talk about William Blake on your show. So I, I, I will always appreciate that. So thank you for doing that with me. Um, and not thinking I was totally another. So, but we're here to talk about the issue three has come out recently of a book that was first conceived 11 years ago. Um, and so I'm in a, I'm going to, we, we're not going to spoil, we're not going to spoil, but I'm going to stand. I've got a bunch of fucking questions about this book. because We I might love, spoil it. You might not, but I'm going to make sure I stay not spoiler. So let's go to the man who blames Warren Ellis for this book being, and he doesn't even know. Warren Ellis is like, is this my fault? Apparently it is. So Mike, tell us how this all happened. Um, we were with Sequart, which is our nonfiction uh, partnership. Um, we were making our second documentary about this one about Warren Ellis and um, Kevin, I think it was Kevin actually, who asked Kevin Thurman, uh, letterer on some uh, Martian comics, he um, I posed some sort of question about I think it, it was like worded like um, they were talking about the authority and and uh, are the authority the good guys or the bad guys and Warren Ellis said it's all relative depending on who they're fighting and it's like um, I, I think the way he put it was something like um, you would root for Hitler if if he was fighting the devil kind of deal something like that and um, I, my brain just went off in all sorts of directions on that one. And um, yeah, that was really the the seed and I couldn't shake it. And I thought, okay, let's throw every single historical asshole together in an insane asylum and, you know, put it on spin cycle and see what happens. And it worked out really well. And so, so you got this idea. And so you're, you're working on this. So this is the, and he's like, you know, Probably can't make that into a movie because that would be very expensive. So what has yeah. no budget? Comic books. And who do I know? This guy who writes these amazing books. So Julian, who, by the way, people, he is the prince of comic book writing. The amount of stuff that I've heard is in the secret vault of like stuff that thousands of years after the passing of Dr. D will discover scripts he was working on. Like you write scripts like nobody's business. So when when Mike came to you with this idea, you're like, I've got 50 other million ideas, but I want to script this. Like how? What was that? What was the hook for you? Well, at the time, uh, I wasn't really publishing comics. Um, I mean, I had written comics since for 20 years, uh, but I had not been publishing them. Um, so, I mean, I have a secret vault of like 20 years worth of scripts. I know. As I'm saying, um, you're the prince of, of comic book writers. I can't wait for us to finally see them all. <laughs> well, you know, we'll see. Uh <laughs> You know, and then I'm going to say, I want back credit for this. You know, like I invented all that stuff that you've enjoyed in the last 20 years of uh, DC and Marvel and Dark Horse and Image. Um, 
that'll go over great. Sure. But um, yeah, so, but we were, Mike and I, you know, were, Mike knew that I was sort of talking about moving in that direction. And I, Martian Comics number one wasn't out yet. Um, and we started working on Necropolitan, what became Necropolitan number one. Um, and so, you know, it goes back that far. Yeah, and, I think actually there was, yeah, I remember like it, the idea bubbled up before you had even really mentioned that you wanted to start making your own. And I was going to do it as a prose story. And it was way different. It was like detectives. I called it Hell PD. Dude, we, there was like prose for couple, that. We produced a couple pros of awful names ago. Yeah. Hell PD. We had gumshoes walking the streets of hell, solving crimes. Um, and then Julian comes back. I think it was from uh, San Diego 2012, maybe. And you were so energized. And you're like, everyone's making their own comics now. We got to try to do this. And um, I was still kind of, my head was still in Sequoia. And I'm like, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to. We got all these projects for Sequoia. I can't put that my head in that in that space. And Julian just went on without me. And um, uh, I, I definitely regret not being there in the beginning with him to help, you know, shoulder some of the early, you know, pitfalls uh, with him because we built Sequoia pretty much together for the past 20 years. So I know that he was like, come on, man, come on. What do you got? What do you got? And I said, well, I've got this hell PD thing. And I, I really don't know what hooked you. I think part of it was that you just were like, you like working with me and you're like, maybe going to help me get the ball rolling. And then maybe you would detach later. I don't really know. Yeah. What, what was it? Was it just, you know, hooking a brother up or. Well, I mean, I, I'm always going to jump at a chance to, to work with you, but I, I think the way I remember it was that it was one of those things where you sort of came to me and were like, um, because you're always so unconfident in your own writing, right? Like uh, you were just mentioning off air about Necropol, about uh, Tessellation number two. And like you produce like a volume, like a, a hundred page Alan Moore-esque script with diagrams and, you know, like you're doing amazing stuff, but you don't have the confidence. And so you'll come to me and say like, I don't know. And you'll say, I remember what I remember was like, you would say things that were brilliant and then go like, I don't know. That's probably a dumb idea. And I'd be like, no, that's great. Like we need to figure out how to do this. And you'd be like, oh, okay, really? You know, like I, I trusted <laughs> coming from you. And so, you know, I think you needed like somebody who had was more familiar with like the scripting side and also with just writing from like a structural angle to give you, you know, that confidence boost and to help kind of transition one conversation after another, that sort of like hell PD initial prose idea into this comic book universe, you know. And in the end, I guess it is a fun sandbox. So you're like, oh, what the hell? Let's give it a shot. And it is. And what I love about it, too, this is the other beautiful thing about independent comics is that especially since you own it, Julian, and, and you know, Mike, you guys are the co in, in Stevens, you got co ownership of this series too right no yeah. it's, it's it's corporate owned um so so the idea is that like you know with all of this stuff like in theory i mean the irony is like you look at something like miracle man and the reason why it wasn't finished for 20 years is because they respected creator rights yeah, right? yeah. like you know there's a downside to that too and so you know so what we do is actually your martian lit has the has the copyright and 
you know, so in the event of like a catastrophic situation where, you know, somebody somebody dies or you know there's some feud or something like a story could be completed okay you know? so we're so not going to be Steven in a was like man. fuck you guys you're like okay we can go on you can finish it mm -hmm. right that but what i love about that's good to hear and what i love about it there was like issue one is like 40 some pages and issue two is like 30 some and then the last one you're like here it is because we're ending the arc and it's going to be as long as it needs to be and what i was what i was pleased when i saw that was you you still were like comfortable to be like okay well we're still going to do the things we need to do we're going to let the story happen and that is again where independent comics you know you don't you're not beholden to well it's only could be 30, you know 22 pages and that's all i got so instead of turning this because really you have enough that you could have turned this into five or six like if this were ahoy you which they do their arcs in five boom does their arcs in five you've got five comics here but you told mm -hmm. each each issue of this three story arc you, it still has beginning, middle, and end in each one. And so I really appreciate that ability of an independent comic to be like, fuck it, this one's going to be this long. <laughs> that's what it's going to be. So I think that, that's amazing. You know, and I, I think it really works for the story too. It's a, definitely a balancing time. act, like, because you know that it's all out of our pockets. So right. you got to have the economy, but you also want to tell the story. So it's, you got to find that, like, you know, thread that needle. Well, yeah, Mike's Mike's the one who conversation after conversation is like, dude, do you need that page there? Like, <laughs> like that's this amount of money, you know. And I and you're paying for it if you want to pay for it, you know. Not all of it. Yeah. Some came from the Kickstarter and everything, but you know, Mike's always like, you know, is this worth X dollars? And I'm like, you can't think like that, you know. You just gotta like. I think it is because I think the story needs it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I actually that's one of the things that I can't imagine doing is, is this I've never approved of this artificiality of 20 pages, 22 pages, you know, to me, that is one of the biggest madnesses of comics production, um, especially in the U S that if you did that with a short story, you know, and you said like, look, you know, we're Collier's weekly and we've got, you know, we space for 5,000 words, you know, Sorry, Henry James, chop turn of the screw to bits, you know, because like I need exactly 5,000 words this week. That would that's madness. You know, nobody does this yeah. um, only in comics. And I think it, you can tell once you get the writing, you sort of get to this point where you're like, oh, here are the two pages they added, you know, yeah. to hit that number. Um, uh, yeah. That actually, and you can tell, you know, and and I'm not, we're, I'm not here to bash other art writers or anything, so I won't say a name. But there's one writer in particular who's a pretty big name who does that all the time, where it's like you had a 17-page story and it was a pretty good story, but you didn't know what to do. So like in the middle, you have some random bad guys show up. You turn three splash pages in to fill the book, and they really take away from this other story you were telling, and now it's 22 pages, and you're like. And I remember this person in particular that I'm thinking of when he was an up and comer wouldn't pull that shit. But now because, you know, he's literally owned by one of the bigger two, it's like got to fill it. And it is true. You definitely see it on the other end. But in this book, I would say to you, Mike, having read this book and, and, and my I'm glad you didn't. That's I'm right, Tony. You school him. Every page is, is beautiful. <laughs> and listen, people, if you are a patron of me of Martian Lit. It's the best deal in the world. Like what you guys give us for what we pay is stupid. So um, 
I know it's just a small percentage of what goes into your pockets to pay for these comics, but seriously, everybody, the amount of good shit you get in the updates you 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 do. So it's worth it was worth every cent for me for whatever it was I paid that month. Uh, it was a steal. I was like, I can't believe I got this. <laughs> Thank you, nice totally aside of the whole economy <laughs> conversation that yeah. Julian and I have about that is when I was creating the tessellation, it was. Uh, I don't know if the gimmick happened first or not, but like every page requires eight panels. Yeah. It's very rigid for a reason. Yeah. And her, her non was like finding a needle in a haystack. Someone who's okay with doing 30 pages times eight pictures. You know what I mean? Um, so that's, that's a lot of drawing. And I, we were talking about the second issue um, and this is going to be annoying to most artists who listen to this, but the script is 210 pages long. Um, and I would be lynched by pretty much anybody except yeah. Hernan. Like Hernan is on board with drawing 50. It's a 50 page comic. He's going to draw that basically times eight. Um, so the economy is like, okay, this one ballooned to 50 pages. Like what in my own collection in this, as my wife calls it, the nerd room, do I have to sell off to get these, you know, 300 images, 320, what's, what's uh, 50 times eight? I don't even know. But five times eight is what? 35, 30, 400, 400, 400. Oh my God. Brain fart. So he's going to draw <laughs> 400 pictures for me. So like I'm trying to be economical, but the story ballooned. I'm just word salading right now. But no, it's all good. This is all well, this this okay. So this is the behind the scenes. So this is what it's like, you guys. This is these two brilliant minds working like this give us this comic. And I think what's amazing is that you're calling us brilliant right after Mike couldn't come up with the number four hundred. Like he's a public school teacher, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't teach math. No, I teach history. And you so, can probably guess how good I am at that. I think probably. No, great. you're awesome. Yeah. No, but here's the thing. So this book comes from these minds. This is the conversations that they're having. So you guys understand these dopes. This no, but this this is, and I know. I mean, I know you're being self. And again, we're all writers, so we all hate our own work. You know, like my novel comes out in two weeks, and there's like or three weeks, and it's like, oh, is it gonna? No, I know it's amazing. You know? Thank you, but you're also like you know, it just makes you sick to your stomach because you're like, is it any good? Obviously, but is it? I don't know. So this is what we do as writers. But the cool thing is about you guys doing this is that you can hear the conversations that you're having because what you guys are hearing, the listeners are hearing, is they want to tell the best story. And so I think what they've turned from this, you know, hell PD into, I mean there's but that that there's it's still a thriller it's still a mystery there's still all kinds of beautiful artwork um inside hell like you've made hell and then when lucifer showed and spoiler alert for everybody sorry i just i said i wasn't gonna spoil but <laughs> i just did it when you lucifer, said you were gonna spoil oh anything. my god and we you gave I'll, the best spoiler of i'm gonna all. cut this i'm gonna cut that part i'm gonna cut that part i'm gonna make it if note. you're cutting that you gotta cut my bad math equation okay well all right well the only reason i want to cut no, this well, is because i want to say when there's when a character shows up three quarters of the way through <laughs> the new book i was like son of a bitch that is one of the most beautifully drawn panels and what you guys oh, wow. as writers did was stood down so that is a question i had for you as you're writing this up uh, this story how do you guys make that determination to get out of steven's way because 
that is beautiful. That is such a gorgeous panel in this third book. And there's a lot of places in the first two books too, because you're telling a pretty complicated story, um, which I guess we should tell everybody what that is. But how do you make that determination of getting out of his way when you're writing that script? Because man, you guys do it just perfectly. By getting out of his way, you mean go for the splash. Yeah, or just, yeah, like we're going to have a silent panel. Like we know this is a silent panel. We're giving him a word-free panel because the script deserves, the story needs that. I think that's me. I mean, I and I think that's, um, it, it, you know, it's about pacing within the, the script. And then, you know, you have to trust that artist to be able to produce that and produce that well. Um, and, you know, I mean, I knew that, you know, we knew from uh, conversations that that was going to be a beat in that story from before number one came out. Oh, wow. Um, so we always knew that. And so by the time we got there, I had sort of set up that moment um, in the script by, you know, having, you know, these sort of cramped spaces of the main character sort of fleeing in these confined spaces and being scared and having this drama going on but also these really cramped spaces and i and i knew that steve would you know turn in something that played on those cramped spaces because he is so conscious of panel borders and integrating in a sort of will eisner way those panels with the page in some way or other and you never know with any artist what you're going to get back but you sort of get a feel for different artists over time. And so by that point, I certainly had a feel for Steve having worked with him on Necropolitan and also on synthetics, um, a couple other little things that um, he would play with that and that we needed this moment, which just changes everything to uh, really shine. And, you know, Mike and I, and then, you know, in the end, Steve did something that was uh, a little different than our description. So, you know, we worked on that description and in the end, Steve nailed it. But, you know, that's part of the part of the joy and the frustration and what's ultimately so liberating and makes making comics so enjoyable um, and also sort of inscrutable is this collaboration that what you get back like you, you're talking about a panel that, um, you know, the depiction of the character in particular is a little different than the description, but Steve nails it nonetheless. And, you know, this joy of collaboration um, and also just the amount of letting go and trusting your creative partner that's necessary um, is, you know, really hard for probably all three of us are a little OCD, a little, you know, uh, over prepping. I mean, Mike just talked about a 200 page script. It's amazing, though. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I um, mean, a lot of it is images for Hernan's reference. Sure. But, yeah. You're backtracking now. You're like, no, no. <laughs> no, well, tessellation is, I mean, the image, like you couldn't do it any other way. But I also think there's a lot of places in this book, all three books, that you couldn't do it any other way. You couldn't, like, you're like, I got to get out of the way. I got to, this is the story beat. I got to trust my part. Like Julian said, I got to trust him. So this was, this was this your first time working with Steve, Mike, with the, with, with, when you guys yes. started this, this group? This was, uh, issue one was the first time yeah, I that's what, yeah. Worked, yeah. worked with Steve, period. Yeah. Um, he was pitching a documentary to us. And that's oh. how we first met. I think, right, Julian? He was pitching the, 
the Wally Wood documentary? Yeah, we were in talks with him. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody um, else did one. So, you know. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's how he came on my radar. I don't know. Did he know you before that, Julian? I don't, I don't remember. Uh, it's been a while. It's been a long <laughs> been, time. It's been but 12 years. <laughs> I will say that he Necro is. One his, was the first comic, yeah. His ad-libbing, I can't, I can't say enough about it. Like, some people could just read that script, draw what it, it looks like in their head. But you really can tell with him that he, he mulls it over. He mulls the picture over in his mind. And he, 99 times out of 100, his ad-libs are just like, He's making us look so smart and clever and deranged in all of the best ways. Like every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, I don't really love that, but it's not worth, you know, you know, there's only, I was really bad when we, we, he's like our third artist for issue one. We had a couple other artists that didn't work out. And the first artist basically didn't work out because I had never made a comic before. And I was using my Sequart, you know, nonfiction text editing skills mm. where I was editing every single thing. Like his back looks a little too straight, you know, like as he's kneeling down to inspect, um, you know, what I don't know if anybody is watching this as red issue one. But early on, our main character is birthed out of this demonic, gross thing. And I just can vi vividly like picture the first artist drawing and i'm like why is that guy's back so straight as he's crouching down it's like so i just remember sending him every little editorial thing that i would do if i were editing one of our sequart books and he just wrote back going buddy it doesn't work this way like you have zero like you have zero trust in what i do and you know that was me in the school of hard knocks like figuring it out but like so I completely digress. I apologize, but like no, this is so part of the show, when man. he There's does no. his ad, when Steve does his ad libs, ninety nine times out of a hundred, it's just like holy shit, this guy is brilliant. He's so good. It is such a beautiful book, and it is. And so let's let's tell everybody uh, because now we're you know half an hour in. Typical, just three dudes talking. Um, tell everybody so the people who haven't read it yet. First of all, shame on you, but no, it's okay because we're that's why we're staying spoiler free right in there so that you guys know <laughs> that you yeah. can listen. Because I'm cut, I, I may have spoiled something, people, but you don't know what it is because I cut it. But tell everybody, Mike. So it's not Hell PD. It's not that anymore. The second one was called Damnation with I, a capital I N. I actually think that's pretty fun. <laughs> I think here's what I would. Here's my pitch. In the second story arc, or in the upcoming graphic novel, which we'll talk about at the end, I want somebody to be reading the Damnation comic. I would like it to live on. No. Like in the comic itself, somebody should be holding oh, up okay. yes, a copy yes. of a comic that says "Damnation" on the cover. <laughs> Gosh, I, so I just sorry. think that's a deep cut for the like. Once, once one, look, one, of street, one of your street signs is, or one of your signs is in French. The okay. sigh of relief when Necropolitan bubbled up in my head was like, oh, thank God. You guys are fine playing with stuff. The street sign names are pretty funny. They're yeah. all, and so Julian put a whole sign on the wall in French. Nobody knows what that says. I mean, I didn't bother trying to translate it, but one of the street, I zoomed in, like, because I got digital. I'm like, what is that? That's Steve, actually. That's Steve. Yeah, that's was it really? Bit. Are you yeah. kidding that's me? That's Steve. Wow. No, no and, and, and just to piggyback, no, yeah, that's Steve. And <laughs> it is amazing. The detail that he adds and and having worked with him on synthetics and stuff too yeah. like this Those is a dude who but, always yeah. thinks about 
the page as a as its own panel as its own meta panel i mean like and this dude like i mean he is just amazing in terms of the little details he has adds and you know some writers some artists i mean if you script a page and it's you know six panels you will get back six panels right some you know some you will get back five some you will get back seven steve you might get get five. You might get back seven. You might get back twenty, like. But those twenty will be like, oh, all those little details are like, you know, close ups of like the guy's feet as it's walking, and it's like I wouldn't dare describe this in a script anymore. Like when you start out, you you're like, oh, I've seen this in comics. I'm going to describe that in a script, and then you realize, oh, that's impossible to describe. No art. That's your fault. That's for an artist to decide to do. But you, you know, there's only you. You really have to pick your battles with those weird layouts when you're describing them as a create, as an artist or as a writer, because you're really telling an artist what to do, and you can convey that idea. But at the end of the day, they're the visual thinker, right? They're the ones who has to turn that onto a page. Steve, I wouldn't dare describe half the stuff that he does, and he will come up with that. So. Yeah, sometimes you're going to get back 20 with him, but it's going to make you look so clever. Like, oh, you yeah. put in like 10 little panels of like feet in close up in between all the others. That's not in a script, right? That's Steve being brilliant. I got to do one. I got to do one more. I'm sorry. Oh, do it. But in issue one, towards the end, one of the uh, serial killers that you meet um, has um, a treat for later behind bars. Yes. Ooh. And she at one point lovingly wrapped her knuckles along the bars. And uh, that, as far as I know, Julian, I don't think that was in the script. And Steve, it just blows my mind. That little nuance there <laughs> of the longing. She can't wait to get back to this prisoner, to torture this prisoner. And he's talking so sweetly to her. And just the little panel of the bang, bang, the tap, 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 tap of the knuckles on the bars, like... I'll be back for you in a minute, sweetie, or whatever the dialogue is. I'm just like, this guy is sick. This guy is awesome. <laughs> it's, it's so well, sick in more ways than one. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so perfect. And it makes you look like a genius, you know, it, it works. that's the beauty of the collaboration. It real And it is, it all works out so beautifully. And, and so as Mike says, this is, so this book takes place in hell, as Julian says, we're, we're broadcasting live from hell and, and there's gangs. It's a gang war in hell, which is so fucking cool. And so the gang that we have, the gang we're following are serial killers. So they, and it's so cool to watch these people. And so that's it. So these three arcs, I'm not, because again, not, we don't want to give too much away, but you've got, we're going to focus on the serial killers gang, the Romans, they call themselves um, because of who their leader is. Not just like, they're not just calling themselves that. There's a reason for that. Um, but the, the, so the serial killers, it's this weird play on morality of like, what they do and you have this amazing conversation with that um as you go so so that's the plot of the first three arcs right is there's a there's a gang war in hell uh serial killers versus other baddies and there's some scalping um i believe you say in one of your notes though what happens mike and i don't want to paraphrase it, so this is what i'd like you to explain about that how would you tell a story if your main character is an asshole and I, I know i'm paraphrasing it wrong like that is so give everybody that pitch like how you're how we're supposed to come at it because seriously folks there's not a lot of goodies in this, but you're trying to make us, there's still a protagonist. So that is such an amazing idea. And then you as a really nice guy, who's like a, 
you know, seventh grade teacher, you're like, I'm going to make sure everybody in my book's a total fuckhead. So what is that like in your head? And and why was that so important to you to have to to push the reader's morality? Because that's what this book does. Yeah. Um, first of all, we all know the bad guys are usually the most interesting part of the story. I mean, so if everyone's a bad guy, then it's that's that's infinite. Uh, you know, that's just everything's cool. <laughs> Everybody, you know, um, it could be overload, though. So you do need, uh, in my opinion, you need at least one person you can relate to. So early on, we had a very unrelatable person being the POV character. Mm. Um, but eventually, after some good advice from some smart people, we we toned down the shittiness of the main character. And um, we, we kind of I, I would say that he is kind of like a um, a hybrid between like Dexter and um, I don't know. I mean, you can relate to him because something bad happened in his earth life and it, it kind of it changed the wiring in his head. Okay, maybe Punisher and Dexter kind of deal. So maybe you can relate to what happened to Punisher. Like sure. as far as I guess the main origin is that his family was killed and he's now going to punish all these bad guys. So there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of Dexter. So that's about as sympathetic as you can get and still send this dude to hell because he, he killed a lot of people on earth and he's definitely shocked that he's in hell he thought you know he's gonna make sure no other parent goes through what he went through and then he comes and uh, wakes up in hell and he's like whoa, whoa. <laughs> so i mean that's about as close as we can get to someone who you can really emotionally connect to i think it it took a little bit of tweaking and, and our first you know we we've mentioned this in another interview but our first pov character was jeffrey dahmer mm. and um the person who was giving us some really good advice goes, you can't, you can't have that guy be your POV kid. Like you have zero people to like in this comic. You know what I mean? You're not going to get away with it. And you know, he was right. And I think what we, the formula we have now works a lot better, but. And you, and you acknowledge that by Dahmer showing up. So I love that. Nice. No, yes. no, no. There is that whole scene in there where they say like Dahmer didn't work out. Right. Is this whole That's meta so thing. Right? Yeah. I love that. Yeah, and, and so, but it's also Dahmer didn't work out because the irony is Dahmer didn't work out because he's a goodie. So, I mean, so part of, part of this morality thing is, um, like, you, I mean, you mentioned earlier, like, as, as writers, we're so unconfident and, and whatever. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly willing to hear somebody say this is shit, right? But I'm pretty confident. <laughs> like I, I, I am the writer who who does not have that. Who's like everything that I've done. I'm like, yeah, I think this might be the best thing I've ever done. You know? Like, I, you know, this is good. I so I'm sort of the exception to this rule. And, I like that. But, though. we need but you. part of. Well, I mean, you know, it, it's part of my own psychosis. You know, and when I'm in hell, this will all come out and you know be part of my first arc. But you'll be the uh, one running the comic shop in the. the <laughs> That'll be you, Julian. Julian and Mike are gonna have oh, a. Oh, I'm running out. the serial killers. Uh, yeah, don't 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 pigeonhole me into Sorry. your nerd culture. Uh, no, I'll be like, uh, I'll be running dope out of that comic shop or something. You know, uh, no. Uh, so I, I, but something's broken in my brain that like I, 
I'm really good with structure for, on stories, and I am good with character as a sort of epiphenomenon of structure, of sort of like how you construct characters and, and getting an audience to care about a character. But there's something broken in my brain that just I I don't understand why people like certain like I don't understand why people like Star Lord in the Marvel movies. Just don't do not. I don't understand except I, I can see it as an epiphenomenon of like the script and the choices they make. But I also don't understand why people would you know like like to me Hannibal Lecter is perfectly charming. Of course you don't want to have a dinner with him for multiple reasons, but you know. Um, you know, he, he, he seems utterly charming to me. I, I don't know why he would be a problem as a protagonist. And, and there's something, maybe it's from my literary background, that just I don't understand people's problem with unlikable narrators and unlikable protagonists. That's something that's never clicked in my brain. And so I was forced to come up against that because to me, I always thought, um, you know, my mother is a minister, actually which may bear on the proceedings. And um, <laughs> I, she always said uh, that she was, because she is a, a Christian who truly believes in the tenets uh, of her faith, said that uh, she was overjoyed that when, when Jeffrey Dahmer died, she was overjoyed, not that he was dead, but that he was in heaven. Right, because he was born again. Yeah. Yes, and and she was overjoyed, and she said, uh, "If if the Lord can forgive and and Jeffrey Dahmer and nuzzle him to uh, his bosom, the Lord can forgive every anyone, including me." And I thought that's so beautiful, like to give him the full faith and credit of that conviction, and you know, and I thought that was such a beautiful thing. So I come from that background. So for me, like. You know, uh, this is not as much of a problem, but I had to. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we've said it was it was Derek Robertson who who told us, like, yeah, don't do that. <laughs> it's not a good it's funny, idea. From, of all people, too, to say don't do something. Derek Robertson. <laughs> I know. Yeah, right? he, he, well, he's got a Ph.D. <laughs> in fucked up stories. But... No doubt. Of all the people in the world to be like, let's. But I no, mean, I, I, I get, I'm, you know, I'm, this is why me and Julian yin yang so well is because. <laughs> I get why he said it because yeah. it's one thing to have your narrator or your POV character be an asshole because there's probably supporting characters who add um, either levity or some sort of um, they caress the reader's mind in other ways because they're softer and they're they're better they're nicer. So if you have a dickhead, a, a curmudgeon as your main character, you have like pressure release valves in the supporting characters. But if everybody in hell is an asshole, do you really need your main character to be an asshole too? You know what I mean? It's like, you need a little bit of light. You need a little bit of something to root for. And I think that's where he was coming from. Yeah, and I think well, it works too. Plus you guys are gonna, gonna give Mark our main character. He gets a prequel book. Yes. So that'll yeah. really lead. And, and is that where that's coming from too? Is that like, now we've met him and he genuinely believed until he went to hell that he was the hero. He was the Punisher. He 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 really believed that. And so now that he's in hell, like we get to now go back and figure out, see what happened to him. And then yeah. we, as the readers, will get to judge if he was judged correctly. Is that the idea behind the prequel series? Well, I mean, maybe. Uh, oh. Yeah. Uh, Graphic novel, you're doing it as a one shot, right? 
Yeah, it's a graphic novel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. And, and Steve is illustrating it, and he's about two thirds done. And wow. it uses sort of, um, it uses sort of uh, spot color. It's very, you know, innovative in its use of color. Um, and he, you know, I presented it as a graphic novel, and he's he's doing it as a graphic novel. Um, so yeah, it's about two thirds done. Um, I'm not sure when it'll, it'll wind up being wrapped, but yeah, it's it's the the background of Mark, basically like. I sort of like the idea of having episodes two and three of the uh, initial arc open with two pages of sort of like flashback because Mark happens to be dreaming or unconscious, you know, uh, at exactly midnight. You know, the, the gimmick is sort of each issue covers a day of his first three days in hell. And so uh, having I like the idea of sort of these little because you're introduced to Mark and you hear this stuff about his past, having these little glimpses into his trauma um, in those, in those first couple pages and having that be a repeated little thing that gives you a little breather almost from the main narrative, although horrific, but those were sort of like these little snippets from a whole life story. And, you know, I sort of, we sort of established some of that life story, but basically I, I have thought about this, Mike, like you, you were depressed, you were struggling and I was in New Zealand and I was like, I'm going to write this graphic novel for Mike and, you know, and show that I care about Necropolitan and like, I'm still, I'm on board. And, well, and this was a complete out of left field surprise. Absolutely. This was, wow. not, this was not a plan. I have zero to do with the script for this OGN. I, I read it. I, through editing suggestions into it, but it was totally like a the most fucked up gift anyone's ever given me in the best way possible. It's like, oh, Mike's not feeling so great these days. So let me write this hundred page OGN of a serial killer's origin to pep him up. And it worked. It, it that's what's totally messed up. It's like it's a messed up story. Like I think back on that and I'm like, that could not have been easy to read, Mike. Like, you know, uh, and especially because like you're a family man and I don't have kids and this is like a story about a family man having everything taken from him. Um, no, how did I think this was a nice way. gift for you? It didn't, it didn't <laughs> hit me that way. It was, honestly, I never even made that connection. Uh, it was just kind of like, I, I, I made hell PD, man. It's my baby. And this dude just completely jumped into the sandbox he brought it to life with his scripting skills and his awesome brain and then after it was all done maybe there was postpartum depression there he just whips up this and i know you you bristle when i say whip like you whipped it up yeah i know it took a lot of work but like it from my mind it was just it just was you know because right, it didn't exist and then it did you didn't yeah know to me it. yeah for you it was i was just like new. wow he's yeah. like you're not gonna believe this but you know in my downtime in New Zealand, I, I, this universe that bubbled up in your brain, I wrote a whole hundred page, whatever. It was, it was awesome. It was well, beautiful. But that yeah. also is a testament to Mike, which would, will turn this into the Mike Love Fest. Not that Mike Love. Uh, but oh, if we wanted to harmonize as the Beach Boys later, we could. But it's a testament to what a brilliant idea you had, though, Mike, because when you can't. So Julian understood Mark enough to be able to do this. So that says you had something really solid. If if you didn't have a good foundation, if your idea wasn't solid, Julian can't write a hundred page. 
you know, backstory because there's not there's nothing there. So that is it really, a I mean, it's again, Thank Julian you. and his amazing ability to write, but also he was yeah. inspired by your person because he didn't invent Mark, you did. Uh, thank you. Well, yeah. I mean, after Derek said, get, get rid of Jeffrey, we kind of collaborated on Mark. But yeah, I mean, I appreciate what you're saying. It's it, like it's a really cool idea because here's what you guys do. So here's the here's the time where English teacher Tony shows up and asks the history teacher and the other English professor to bear with me and tell me where I'm wrong. Literary literary criticism time. I've got two. So this is number one is you guys dealing with serial killers as the main character and you're having and and there's a there's a commentary about hell which means heaven must exist <laughs> and you're asking us and of course you know julian just talked about his mom being a minister and everything so you are you are having a very like through the religious criticism lens you're asking us to play judge of these characters and so like you said you wanted mark to dial it back Jeffrey Dahmer turns out is a goodie and you're also making us grapple with that because they hate Jeffrey Dahmer down there because he's a Christian and they're like that fucking asshole we thought he was on our team and he's not so <laughs> are you expecting your readers to be the judges like are you asking us to determine if each of these horrible people horrible people we meet like the comic the guys who run the comic shop and the guys who learn at the bar and all that they're all in hell you're asking us to, are you asking us to place judgment on them? I felt like you were, and I felt like, because I reread issues one and two for this before I read issue three. So it's a different experience. And that, that will be part of the other question that we talked about before, Mike. So is that what you guys wanted? Did you want us to be the judge and jury and ultimately executioners? He's pointing at you. You go, Mike. No, I don't think so. Ah, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, the way I look at it is, um, if we're really cutting humanity down the middle and if you're you know 40 51 percent um good or 51 percent bad you know what i mean there are those people i mean you got your Dahmers, you got your john wayne gacy's who are you know a hundred percent bad but there's also the carjacker you know there's also the shoplifter you know the so i think it would for me it was just about you know the 51% baddies are there too. And, and they might've made one bad move in their life. Um, I read a, a Pierce Anthony. What, what was the incarnations of immortality series? You ever heard about that? Mm -mm. Pierce Anthony, he did the Xanth. No, yeah, series. I know who he is. I've not read those. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I think this, that hit me early on when I, I read that when I was a teenager, but like, you know, there's a whole thing about, you know, your whole life is like this strand and you can see like, some darker moments and some lighter moments or whatever. So that's always stuck with me. So, I mean, there's going to be people who just unfortunately are just 1% on the wrong line, on the wrong side of that line. And they're there. And that's the, that could be the comic book store clerk. You know what I mean? So um, that's just how I view it. What do you think, Dr. D? I mean, I think it's inevitable that people ask those kinds of questions. I think that I like screwing with readers um you know obviously like i am very comfortable with unlikable narrators and things like this and i like i like being challenged uh, i you know i'm not somebody who just wants a punchy punchy fight i'm somebody who i want to come away from a comic or a novel and and say i mean ideally right who am i after this you know like to me that's the highest thing you could say about a work and and so there's a point in the um, there's a point in issue one where they're at the Roman compound 
where it was very important to me to say, oh, really, like you think you're better than this? You know, what would you do in these circumstances? And also, like, how do you judge people from centuries ago? Um, don't you think people, you know, like it's really easy for you to do that. You do realize people centuries after you are going to do the same thing to you. Um, and I think that, you know, especially, yeah, I mean, talking about my mom, you know, I think that it's, I am stunned by people's cognitive dissonance. I'm constantly stunned by people's ability to say like, you know, uh, like in the same breath, um, you know, it's all about, uh, it's all about loving your neighbor. You know, somebody's knocking at the door, get the AK, you know, like this is just this cognitive dissonance. And that's not a slam just on Christians or anything, because every single everybody does it. Right. I mean, and in some ways, I recently made the, the joke. I have a little stand up routine like, you know, um, yeah. How could people do that? America was founded on cognitive dissonance. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, we're all, you know, we're all about freedom. Tell me, slave, go over there and convey my my notes on freedom to the the chap in the corner. Yeah. Um, it, it's really stunning to me, and I think that the best works of art kind of challenge us and and force us to confront some of these things. Yeah, because the cultural the commentary because what you're doing it is cognitive dissonance, but like there's a lot of stuff that I try to teach my students is you know like cultural relativism. They just don't get it, especially depending on where they are. I can't say just all like, you know, I just had a couple of students in the most recent classes that finished up. I'd say I had a hundred students this term, uh, probably like 10 of them were, you know, non-American students, which is always cool because when you're having conversations about stuff that's happening in America and there's all these like, you know, people who are like from small town, middle America, and they're like, everything is awesome. And these people are like, well, <laughs> um, also that's a weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> they're singing that song. Um, but yeah, so it is. So when you have that conversation about, are there like nobody, like I had somebody this semester, it's totally true, right in a discussion board. There's no slavery. Slavery is not a thing. I was like, wow. Okay. Like, okay. I don't, I was like so stunned that anyone would say that, but that's like, and again, you guys couldn't see Mike's face because, you know, he's a history teacher. He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, there are. Um, that's not how, that's not how the world is. That's not how the rest of the world is. But like having the conversation about cultural relativism or just like life outside your border. And so by you dropping us into like ancient Rome in hell dealing with, so you've got historical, you know, cultural relativism, you know, historical relativism. Then you've got cultural relativism inside their own clan. Then the clans are going to fight. And there's this whole, you know, French versus Romans thing, Robespierre versus, um, <laughs> Caligula. Nero. Yeah. yeah, Nero. Yeah. And it's like, it's it's such a fascinating conversation to have. So to me, I kept thinking about the cultural relativism of it. And but I like that you said cognitive dissonance. I think that's actually that's even way better than just because it's not because right, Mike, I mean, that's the whole thing is is the stuff like at this is you know, knowing that you're a history teacher, that conversation there that they're having about like this is what they did in Rome. You're like, oh, you think all these orgies were a good time? What the fuck? Why did you think that? <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, because that's the way we're taught, right? That's the, that's the way that it's made to seem as like everybody just got drunk and had sex and it was a big fun time. And you're like, why do you think that? And I'm sure, and granted, you're teaching kids maybe that are a little too young to have that conversation. But as a trained historian who went to school for this. Yeah, I've been pulled in the principal's office way too many times <laughs> for uh, broaching that one as like an anticipatory telling, telling set. Truth. Yeah. 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 No, I mean... Uh, What's fun about Necropolitan? I mean, there's a million fun things about it. Um, but one of the most fun is that um, all these 
attitudes and mores and 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 everything is all just shoved into this space and they have clashing and like that if you, the story prompts are infinite with that you know you could we could do this we could do this comic forever and 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 have fresh ideas uh just because everything is funny everything's absurd when you throw all of humanity all the assholes and some 51 percenters but like uh, throw them all in there and just just your brain just goes in all sorts of wacky fun directions yeah and i think and what you make us do too and again you know like you make us judge ourselves you make us think oh shit um you know i was eight at that time does that count against me like you know like it's just a really it's an interesting conversation that we have just give me another great idea (laughs) (laughs) but like you said it's infinite i mean what i like too is because you've also made it you you talked earlier about steve's like you know small cramped drawing size but you also made like these are like little sectors of hell you know literal turf warfare so that's claustrophobic and then because by the end we brush the line and then we're like, okay, we brush the line. And then at the very end, they're like, oh shit. I mean, there's more shit going on and this is happening and this is happening. You've like kicked the kicked a hole inside this. And so again, we, as we're learning with Mark is learning. So I just, I think it's, and it, it can go forever, Mike. I mean, I don't, I don't know why it, there's no reason to end it. And I know you guys have a couple, you've got the, the original graphic novel and then there's going to be a prequel arc next, next, right? Um, the Mark's Mark's story, and then then four, five, and six are going to be something different under a different n- different name. Even right, the arc is going to be able, these characters aren't even going to be in the next arc, right? Right, yeah. Issues four, five, and six are just a well. I'll just say it. It's uh, Thomas Edison is the POV character there, and um, it's kind of his his hell origin. We don't really talk about why he's there. He's confused about why he's there, but. Um, Ultimately. Anybody who knows anything about all the people that he ripped off in his life won't be super surprised to find it this yeah, out. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I like to just, we'll just leave. And the, that's the cool yeah. part about it is like, yeah, you ponder and you wonder like, and maybe it never gets answered and you can just let your brain run with that. But like, it, it, you know, he basically, the moment he's born from that gross hell matron thing, he's immediately abducted and um, he is tasked with electrifying pandemonium. Um, and we just tell his story from his death day, hell birthday, whatever, yeah, yeah. all the way up until about the eighties. And, oh, um, nice. yeah, so we don't really see anybody except maybe Genghis Khan. Uh, we don't really see anybody from the first three issues. It's a whole different thing. Um, it's, it's fun. It's exciting. Yeah. There's, um, Alistair Crowley's in it, and John Parsons Whiteside is in it, and uh, Henry Ford is in it, and uh, Genghis Khan. It's just, yeah, it's just fun to just it's but go wild. Tell with me it. that Tesla's in heaven. <laughs> uh, no, I can't say. Oh, can't you can't say. say. It's just funny can't that. Say. Okay, well, I mean, it'll be fun to find out because you know, I, in that battle, I was always team t- the Edison oh, yeah. Tesla. I've always. Been- if you ever just, and this has nothing to do with it, but there's an amazing, totally bananas, crazy shit movie called Tesla with with uh, Ethan Hawke as Tesla. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. Oh. No, my. I'm a big, I've always been a big Tesla fan. Uh, says that movie is totally crazy bananas. This is true. In the in the middle of the movie, he sings the entire song as Tesla. Everybody wants to rule the world. Mm-hmm. Whoa. Yeah. For no yeah. reason. Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. I've never even heard of this. He can sing, of course. He can actually sing. But he sings oh, yeah. it as Tesla in, and it's, 
I, yeah, I just want to point out that it took us four issues to go from Hell PD to the electrification of pandemonium. Oh my like, God. like we've turned it like by issue four, you'll be watching a public works project. Like, have you ever <laughs> watched The Wire and thought like, I want all that stuff in school. Just get rid of all the mobsters. That's amazing. You haven't lived until you've seen a demon spider like whipping Thomas Edison, who's like down on his knees in a gutter, like wiring stuff under a sidewalk. Amazing. That'll be great. No. I can't I can't wait. And then he's like, and, maybe I should have listened to Tesla. And, and those <laughs> what's funny is like uh when we started doing Necropolitan, when Necropolitan number one came out, there were these reviews because people know that I'm a creative writer and that I've written some fucked up shit, right? Yeah. So um, you know, I mean it's sort of I've got this you know, very scholarly side, but people are aware I'm not scared of dark shit, right? So people, there were reviews of number one that were like, you know, like, Julian's messed up. Like, I can't believe he did that. And I'm like, all of the things that you cite came from this guy. <laughs> like, like, guys coming out of, you know, uh, giant vagina. I mean, there's messed up stuff. I'm like, none of these, I'm guilty of none of this. And what's messed, what the point is that in this, uh, four, five, and six arc. It has, and I'm not even blowing smoke. Like in number six, you will see one of the most amazing things that humanity has ever conceived of. Oh, and I'm not even joking. And it's straight from this guy's deranged mind. And I will get half the credit for it. Um, in other but, words, it's, yeah. it in is other words, stunning. you don't want aliens to abduct me as oh. humanity's representative. Fair. That's totally fair. Listen, I, I can't wait. And this is another reason why everybody, and there'll be a link to become a patron in the show notes, uh, by the way, and do that. And at the end of issue one, though, the beautiful thing about it at the end of issue one is like, this is the thing, Julian, this is where people don't like, they're like, Julian's fucked up. Like, did you read to the end where we have the whole thing about like, don't hate women, you fuck faces. So it's like, people didn't read it. They missed the point. People often miss the point, don't they? They see the one thing and they realize they're like, He's so fucked up. This is the story in hell. You're like, these are bad guys. I've made it very clear who the villains are. You know, it's like I'm not on their side. So I just I just also want to appreciate that at the end, read to the end, people. Get to get there because there's it's more than just one thing. So I also love that little moment at the end of issue one. Thanks for putting that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh yeah, yeah that no, that's awesome. that's really important. And we spent a lot of time. I mean, Mike and I have spent, we've gone over every page in a lot of detail on these. And they're they're fucking beautiful, man. And I can't wait. And again, Steve's the, Steve's the king. One day we'll get Steve on here. Maybe you guys can make that happen. I'd love to talk to him too. Uh, how do we say? I never know how to say his last name. Leg. It is just leg. Okay. Yeah. Overthinking mm -hmm. it. L e g g e. Uh, everybody. I, they're I've like already, I've already I, mispronounced it in interviews myself. I just said that, and people are like, "Dude, an English teacher, and he doesn't know how to pronounce leg." There's an extra G and an E. Everybody, calm down. So, um, anyway. Here's what I want to, the other question, Mike asked me this, because I said I reread them, it one and two, and then I read three to get ready for this. And so he's like, oh, I've never read them in a row like that, because you guys have been working on these for 10 years. And, and, you know, and obviously I read one and two a couple of years ago. And so now I'm, I just read three. And so he's like, what was that like to read them back to back? And I actually, and was there a difference? Could you notice the difference or whatever? And, and there were some very subtle things but because you could tell it was the same creative team and when you brought Chris in to change the colorist, that wasn't. And I was looking at it digitally, so I don't know if in a print edition that, that would be more stark, but I didn't notice that. But my question to you is, it's three days. It didn't really, you know, and it's taken this many years. So could we, as 
readers look at that? Are you asking us to have that conversation? You know, the whole, again, if, if hell exists, heaven exists and, you know, all of that. So in the, in the Jewish and Christian Bible, God invented heaven and earth in seven days. Is this that? Is this three days that are equivalent to those seven days? Like a day is not really a day. This is, I know you're saying everything's at midnight, but midnight, is that relative? That's how I read it. It's like, because I feel like you guys are taking the time between the books for all the practical real life reasons that you are. But is there a fun commentary that we, the audience, can take away from the fact that these days could last years? Mike? I love that idea. Um, unfortunately, because I wish I, oh, you're making me wish I I, I thought about <laughs> myself, honestly. But I guess in the head canon, uh, it's more just we need like these characters died at a certain time, so it would like kind of like I, I can't even even visualize it, but that would really I don't know how that would work. So I unfortunately it's tethered to Earth days. Okay. Well, not as exciting, the, but yeah. No, it's fine. I just wondered. Yeah. One of the key things that sort of we decided early on and that's that's especially important to Mike is that this is um, like uh, basically like a punishment dimension, right? Like it's possible that, yeah, I mean, it's not impossible that time is a little different or something like, but, you know, but like basically they've died and been transported to this other place, right? Right. And so... Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely it's a place where the rules are different. I mean, part of the fun of four, five, six is sort of seeing Edison, a tech guy, deal with a place with sigils and ma where magic's real, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so in a, in a weird way, like you, you sort of have to decide on ground rules early on, right? So, yeah. I mean, we had lots of these conversations. So sort of like, how does this actually work? Um and one is like, you know, yeah, essentially. Time is fluid. Well, because because you do say, because Trump is president, you're watching that on TV. So I knew yeah. that was set in a real time, but I also know that you invented the story in 2012. So I mm -hmm. just didn't, and I know it didn't get published then, but I just didn't know as we were playing, which by the way, I love that they're watching TV. I love that. Well, they're so watching good. Fox News. They're watching Fox News. <laughs> I mean, Fox News only is one the channel. only news in hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought that was amazing, but I just, I love that though, because they're like, they're reporting like, you know, Trump is doing our bidding up there. He's fucking everything up. So I just, <laughs> I, so I knew that took place then, but that also played with, because I, you know, because in the first book, you tell us when you came up with the idea and that's not when it came, got published, but that's when you came up with it. And then in the second book, I don't know if it was in book two or three, I think it was in book two where they're watching Fox News and Trump is president. So you're like, well, could this have been like his day was five years? And I was just... Oh, as you, as yeah, you all, oh, as you so all cool. know, as we writers, we put things out in the world and then it's mm -hmm. up to the, that's the beautiful thing about art. That's why Julie and I aren't the English teachers who are like, no, there's only one way to interpret that. Or if you yeah. don't do it my way, you're wrong. And we've all had mm -hmm. those teachers and those teachers are wrong. We're here to tell you that's bullshit. Everybody, because And I'm, they suck. We're they're terrible. We're having, I'm having a conversation with the writers of this book and they're not throwing things at me saying that's so stupid they're like oh yeah yeah open to that interpretation i feel no like that and 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 if, if if necropolitan stops at number three you know i mean even even if just you said okay do an interpretation of this first volume that's an utterly responsible interpretation and also mike and i don't get the final say on that you know like 
like if we're like, no, I didn't think about that. You can marshal that evidence and, you know, present that evidence. And if it's correct, it's correct. Right. Um, it's certainly ambiguous, you know, in, in that those three issues. You're right. Yeah. And because of how it came out, too, you know, it's just what you get yeah. to play with that a little bit. And it was like what I thought of, too. And, I, and this and I don't know if you, any, if you guys watched the TV show, Mr. Robot, which I thought was was brilliant. And it was almost like hell on earth in a lot of ways, you know, and, and but. Trump was president during that too. Trump becomes president. Like they were trying to do that in real time, but then they had to write the Trump presidency into Mr. Robot because they wrote Obama in there. And so they played with time a little bit there and they dealt with like, how do these fictional people deal with reality? And so I think, and the fact that you're bringing Edison in and the fact that all of these people for the majority are historical characters are real serial killers for the most part. I think that's also really brilliant too, because you're you're grounding us in, it is a place where Matt, there's a whole, you guys fucking wrote the shit out of this book. The halos are translators. If they don't have a halo on, they don't know what the fuck we're saying. Oh, they know because Jack slapped it. I mean, that is like fucking, that's the kind of shit that drives me crazy when you're reading a book. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You got to explain. I'll deal with your, the reason the best script ever written, film script is Back to the Future is because they're just like flux capacitor. We're not going to explain it. Just fucking time, <laughs> time machine works. If they were to go down a rabbit hole, it doesn't work. You guys were like, we here's the things we have to describe. Do you have a phone? How much money do you think I have? They're like, son of a bitch. What a fucking brilliant line. What a brilliant way to explain it. So then later, the places that have phones, and then you talk about the, the wonkiness of technology there. That's so smart. It was so good. And it's like, that's when you can tell that is a well-crafted script because you're like, nope, nope. These little one-off lines that may not seem like anything, it is such a world builder and for people, and it pays for second and third readings because you're getting that you guys know the world exists outside of these three blocks that they live in. It's so fucking great. I mean, you guys should just be so proud of yourself. That is some amazing writing. I just fucking love it. Yeah, Julian, um, the best thing that ever happened to my writing. <laughs> uh, and that's the thing he mentioned earlier. Like I was hitting a wall. I always hit these walls. I'm, I'm not a prose writer. I've never been trained. I just knew that he'd written a million scripts. And I was like, how do you, you know, can you help me move forward? And he just said, he liked it enough. He just jumped in and like, he's, I might be a good world builder and idea guy, but the, he's the nuts and bolts. And he just, he sees the whole thing. I can throw Oh, well, let's try this ingredient. Let's try oregano. Let's try, you know, parsley. But he can see the whole meal before he even puts, you know, his fingers on the keyboard. And that's all the praise you just said, you know, 98% is him. Well, well that's not entirely true because, and, and here's where I praise you and everybody who's read the issues and seen us praise each other in the back. Oh, I love those notes to each forever. other at the back. I know, big love fest. I love it. That's true. But, yeah. you know, um, and, you know, uh, I mean, working with Mike and writing with Mike is one of the has been one of the most frustrating experiences of my life, and I mean this in the best way. And it and it's really true to what you're saying, Tony, about like conceiving of this world. Because if I'm writing for myself, I'm like, okay, here are the things I've established. I kind of I've got those, you know, sort of like there's a pin in them in my brain. I know I've established it and where I've established it. And there are these other things that we haven't quite established, but I know I'll establish them as I need to. And I'll go back and revise and, and, and I can fly by the seat of my pants. I don't, I don't need a net. Right. And I'm used to functioning like that because I'm accountable to myself and I'm really good at remembering all those little things and keeping them in my mind. 
And then I work with Mike and Mike's like, yeah, but you know, how do phones work? You know, like, let's think about this. And I'm like, MF, you know, like, I, 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 why are we having this guy? Like, how is this relevant to the script at hand? Like, you know, and he's like, well, you know, think about this. If these halos go like this, he's like, how do the streets work? Do they have plumbing? Who put that plumbing in? And I'm just like, you know, man, like, that's so you kind of a brilliant are... question. But also, like, I am doing so many man hours for every page of script. Like, like what? This is like such an intense job like we're having these sessions where i feel like i'm going through a doctoral uh dissertation examination every script like five times a script because we're having these intense intense conversations where everything is being interrogated and reinterrogated and you know and but the but the so i hate that process in a lot of ways and would whine about it and you know avoid it but but the end result of it is that we know the world and it, the end result was always better scripts. You know, the end result was always uh, better. And I could see on the page that Mike made the, made the stuff better, even even from a late stage, that that process always made it better. Um, but uh, that's not to say it wasn't frustrating. But so, but the point is, if you're talking about the telephones and you know how all of this works, um, yeah, I mean, I can I can put the pin in it and kind of think about implications and stuff. But it was those those long conversations, a hundred long conversations, a hundred two hour conversations about, <laughs> you know, how every little thing works. He's uh, definitely the person I've probably spoken to the most in my entire life. Well, that's, I mean, it all comes out. And it all Is that all of your wife and kids? Like, <laughs> Nope, not even close. Well, you've known, I mean, your kids aren't, you've known Julian longer than you've had kids. Yeah. And I don't talk to my wife, so it all works. <laughs> That's why, that's why we why we're still together. Yeah, she comes in and slams the door. She's like, get in your nerd room. No, that's that's yeah. all fake. Yeah, no, right. but here's the thing. Listen, I, I I we're gonna wrap it up because I don't I'm gonna gush more and I just think I like good writing. I like independent comics. That's why my show is the indie comic spotlight show, because I want to spotlight great writing. And I think indie comics are the place where we don't need budgets and but we get to do shit that matters. And I think you're asking us to have conversations about morality, about religion, about sociological. You talked about cognitive dissonance. Um, what What is good? I mean, the fact, like you said, people will be surprised to find Thomas Edison in hell. Not this guy. When you, when you said Ford, I'm like, uh, duh. I mean, he's probably the <laughs> Klan leader. Fuck that guy. Um, I'm in Michigan as I'm saying this, and I have not been struck, 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 down, struck down by saying that. But I just feel, um, I can't wait. I'm really excited. I like I like things that push. Um and 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 you guys know you 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 still delineate like my one of my all time favorite films um, because it hit me at the right time when I was sixteen years old is Heather's and and Heather's you know I mean everybody sucks in Heather's and it was like wow that movie's really offensive you're like right but the people who do the offensive things are clearly bad like nobody's like praising them it's not like the morality is you as the watcher is like did I laugh at the joke that's on you they said a horrible offensive thing did you laugh so as people are looking at this at at, at your comic. They have to make a decision about how they feel and like the conversations you have about those orgies and about all of the the stuff that we watch and we are like, oh, there's this thing. There's like I'm watching the sex party, sex comedy movie. You guys have a commentary about like bad 80s sex comedy movies in your comic book. I think I see it there. And I just think it's so well done and it's layered. And I just sometimes you have to be uncomfortable to think big thoughts. And I just thank you guys both for writing something amazing. I've never been thanked for writing before, so this is great. Thank you. Well, thank you for thanking me. I love books. <laughs>
I love to think, you know, I mean, and, and I think there's value in all art. And um, I think when you do something that's uncomfortable, like you said, Julian, people know you and they're like, oh, he's the guy who does the fucked up shit. I'm like, well, then you didn't read it very closely because he's not doing fucked up shit for the sake of it. He's not a sadist. You know what I mean? Like, so that always bugs me when people miss, well, the, miss the point. Hey, yeah. hey. <laughs> don't miss the point. So get on this. So let's say people like me wanted to become a patron of this so they don't miss anything. And will you, the big question for me is, I mean, there's no way you're going to give me this, give me the graphic novel on the Patreon because that's too big of a project. Will that be kickstarted? Uh, yeah, we're planning a Kickstarter for that. But if you're a patron, you get it. What yeah. the fuck? No, so you, you don't get the print one, but you get right. the, yeah, no, no. I mean, everything electronic is on there. And, um, you know, so being a patron, if you're a patron of Martian Lit, we'll get the we'll, we'll get the graphic novel when it comes out. Yeah, you, you get you get the you get the trade. And you also like, I mean, you can, what is it, $3 a, a month? $3 a month. For $3, okay. you, get the, you get the entire back catalog. I know available to you plus every new thing and that includes you know a comic most months uh a new comic and some of those comics are a graphic novel some of them are standard 20 issue 20 pages 23 whatever whatever it needs to be um and then when we do the collections or whatever the collections get on there too right so, yeah and i've got the full volumes, but i just didn't know you'd be putting the whole big graphic novel that's amazing so okay. it's martian lit slash patreon right yeah, uh, it's actually uh, patreon.com slash Martian. Sorry, slash Martian. Get on that, people. Did you hear all that cool shit? And seriously, <laughs> the amount and, of... And you're a supporter, and thank you for being such a long-time and uh, expressive supporter, Tony. Uh, I, I, I love mean, this, what you do. Well, and I love what you do. I mean, you know, you've changed my life. You've, you know, like, you're, we're like, uh, I mean, this is like a triumvirate of uh, people who all have done cool stuff together i mean you and i are collaborating on yes you know a lot of stuff so the stuff outside of comics and stuff in comics so yeah. you know well it's just great and mike i just keep telling stories man and I, I i think your your students they need somebody who's a truth teller to history and you obviously knowing now that you're a historian it makes so much more sense i wish i had known that when we talked tessellation so i need to go back in my own tessellation machine when when issue two comes out We'll talk about the, the fact that you're a historian because I dabbled as a, I could have been a, you know, I, I love history. So it makes perfect sense. So, um, so what else? So Thanks. you've got Tessellation 2 in the, in the bank. You've got these next issues, four, five, and six are written. Yeah. When, when are we going to get Steve, pry Steve away from the other shit he's doing so he could start drawing it? When, Actually when... four, I wrote a lot of four, but I, again, Julian, my savior, I wrote, I want to say 80%. 75% of number four. He's in the context of Necropolitan, I really appreciate the word savior. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually a nice thing that dawned on me on the lawnmower yesterday about the little spoiler that. Yeah, Tony which we cut out. That, Nobody knows what I'm saying. That yeah. character. Yeah. Who, I don't know if that was a plan. Julian, I'm sure it was a plan, but that guy who makes that cameo at the end of three is kind of like a savior as well. I don't 100%. Okay. All right. So anyway, um, but yeah, four is three quarters written. He's going to finish that one. Five and six are outlined completely, but not scripted. Um, I've already, huh, Tessellation two is going to be 50 pages. Tessellation three is going to be 
probably close to 50 pages and I'm halfway done scripting that. So nice. Hernan, we got to get Hernan. You know, he's got to get, he's got to get drawn. He's, he's got to draw. He's got to grow a third arm. Dude, get on it. Yeah. Let's get, let's get That's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, if you can make that happen, I mean, you've got some, we've got can. Mars. We've got some people. You've got, no, I can make that happen. You can make sure. that happen. Well, you've got inside the Martian lit world. We can get, we've got androids with arms. We've got shit going on. <laughs> we've got stuff. Um, Listen, Martian Lit is more than just the stuff you've heard of. Because Julian was on the first time Julian was on, we talked about Girls from Mars, which fucking I love that book. And then you've heard you've heard us talk about Tessellation. Now we're talking about this. Look, Martian Lit is is the place. And again, I love what Ahoy's doing, but I feel like you know they stole your mojo a little. They're like, hey, do you see what those guys are doing? I bet you we could do that too. And there's and I'm not no no because Ahoy makes great comics, but it's just yeah. like. There's it's, plenty of room at this table. There are, and it's we're all children of vertigo. You but know? what I'm saying, we are, and our patron saint is Karen Burgess. I'm into that. Hallowed yeah. be thy name, Karen. Absolutely. Um. Oh, she's she. If if we could make, if we could canonize, if there was, com I mean, we know there's a Hall of Fame, and when she finally gets put on the Eisner Hall of Fame, of course, I'm going to vote for her immediately. But like, she literally changed all of our life. Absolutely. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and there's there's a million of us, millions and millions of us nerds out there who owe being seen to Karen, and 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 she would hate Necropolis. <laughs> I, I don't think so. no, she would. I, don't yeah. know. I mean, she greenlit preacher, didn't she? She did. Yeah, but she, but she's but she's notorious. Like, there's a reason why um, uh, why Grant Morrison did um, Happy at Image, oh. and and one is that. Uh, Karen uh, does not like uh, it, it sort of has an issue with extreme violence and, and stuff like that so I mean I suspect I mean I don't know her personally but I suspect you know Karen my good friend would not have a greenlit <laughs> necropolitan but you know the chaps from Ahoy should contact us because you know we got lots of spare time you know to, they to crank stuff out. I've interviewed Tom I have his email somewhere but maybe we can make that happen yeah, yeah. Tom's, Tom's awesome Oh man, I fucking penultimate man. That comment oh, was like, I love that. Breaks my heart all over the place. Yeah. In our interview well, with him, I asked him if he was inspired by a Philip Larkin poem, and he looked at me like I had lost my mind. I was like, you know, this be the birth. They, <laughs> fuck you up, they fuck you up, your mom and dad. He's like, no, but I love that. I like that you think that. I'm like, okay, good. But as long as you like that, I think that. <laughs> No, that's the usual thing of like, thank you, Tony, for making me look smarter than I am. <laughs> um, no, but but but, you know, Tom doesn't get enough credit either because, you know, Payer has been, you know, in uh, comics forever and done brilliant stuff and, and been there. Right. You know, he doesn't get the credit, but, you know, uh, that like an Alan Moore does. But I mean, you know, he's been there alongside all of these developments yeah. and been pushing, you know, especially superheroes forward. Um you know, it's cool that like, like I always hate when people leave out like his issues of the authority because it's like, no, those are on par with, you know, the, the marquee stuff. It's just he doesn't get the the credit. Yeah, it is weird. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What it is. That's just how it is. But we're here to give Martian Lit the credit and to say it's on par with all that stuff. And so people, three dollars a month. If you're in England, it's two pounds. What? Don't skip one day a month don't get a coffee and get this that's how i feel if all of put the down your me, avocado toast you millennials only only one day a month you have to put that down you guys are giving this shit away i'm telling you so support well, my that. whole idea is it's the price of one comic that's right what it is. i mean just like one comic a month subscribe you know it's it's not even an expensive comic 
but just, you know, one comic a month for that price, you'll get everything we do and, you know, you'll help us. So, and maybe with the money that comes in, I can afford a math tutor. Which I cut that, <laughs> I thought. People don't know what that joke is. Anyway, all right. <laughs> in real time? All right, sorry. All right, so, Mike, if people want to see what you're up to when you're not, and they, when you're not talking to me, how would they find you around the interwebs? I don't know. Uh, Martian Lit, I mean, our stuff is there. Um, I had a Twitter, but since that bozo took over, I killed it. Yeah. Um, but I kept the the product Twitter. It's not my personal one. So I guess you could check out Tessellation CMC okay. or Necropolitan CMC on Twitter. All right. Nice. Very good. Yes. And Dr. D? Uh, you can go to juliandarius.com and find out all about me. Although, keep in mind, like the link to Twitter, I don't, you know, like yeah. I've shut down the Twitter too. Sure. So. Yeah, and I felt pretty good because due to it breaking my brain, I actually quit Twitter like the year before he took over. So I looked cutting edge, but it was just like, it hurt my soul. And honestly, the problem was, it's one of my favorite people, one of my favorite comic book writers, other than the two men to whom I'm currently speaking, is the brilliant, the, I would say he could easily, if they wanted, somebody wanted to give him a comedy show, Mark Russell is one of the greatest oh, yeah. living satirists. He makes me laugh all the time. And I would follow him, but he is so very politically active and he liked to troll Ted Cruz, which was funny. But also it was like every time I had to see what Ted Cruz said to see the joke that Mark Russell said, <laughs> oh, it was yeah. hard for me. So I was just like, I just shut Twitter down. So I'm with you guys. But my website is arfarina.com. You can click on all my stuff there. And this is Comics in Motion and this is Indie Comics Spotlight. And this is what it's about. Loving Indie Comics. This is the place. And we are all here to put out in the universe that we love you, Karen. The original Karen, who was not a Karen, who gave us um, joy and imagination and darkness and told us it was okay to be a little weird. Um, so that's what we're here for. So, all right. Thank you, guys. And uh, and look for the Austin Chronicles. The Austin Chronicles. That's true. The first one comes out on May. When this will come out. It'll be two weeks from now. When the, I know. I'm a little sweaty about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. I mean about future calamity I used to think the idea was obsolete Until I heard the old man dampen his feet This is a place where eternally to their body Teeth are extruded and for the crown And baked into cakes which are passed around
my top's gonna 